This episode of Gospel Bound is brought to you by Crossway and the new ESV Bible app. The ESV Bible app is designed to help you engage with God's Word on a deeper level, offering elegant, intuitive features to personalize your study, including multiple audio recordings of the full ESV text, audio playlists, customizable background music, daily reading plans, and more. Download the ESV Bible app on your phone or tablet, or visit esv.org to get started. You're listening to Gospel Bound, a podcast from the Gospel Coalition for those searching for firm faith in an anxious age. I'm your host, Colin Hansen. A number of years ago, I grew distressed with a number of friends and colleagues who had left ministry amid controversy and scandal. I tried to learn what had gone wrong and how to keep it from repeating. From that study came several books devoted to helping pastors endure especially as they learn from historical and present-day mentors who have fought the good fight. I'm grateful for Paul Tripp's latest contribution to this cause with his new book, Lead, 12 Gospel Principles for Leadership in the Church, published by Crossway. This is one of the most bracing but also balanced books you'll find on church leadership and the particular challenges of our day. Paul's written specifically for pastors, but this book broadens the lens to consider the whole leadership culture of a church because he believes we have major problems. He writes this, How many times are we going to see the same sad story of the demise of a ministry leader and the destruction of the leadership community that surrounded him before we recommit ourselves to God's values and to our ambassadorial calling? And as we recommit, cry out that he would in love rescue us from us. Paul helps church leaders see that when Jesus calls us to ministry, he calls us to suffer. And Paul warns us to expect dangerous adulation and harsh criticism in this ministry. Now, Paul points us to Jesus because the unpredictable and uncomfortable world of church leadership is not a safe place to look for identity and inner security. Paul Tripp joins me on Gospel Bound to discuss our leadership crisis in the church and how we can fight against it in the power of God's grace. Paul, thank you for joining me on Gospel Bound. Hey, Colin, it's uh, great to be with you. Now, Paul, when did you realize that you needed to write this book? Well, when I wrote uh, Dangerous Calling, I had a sense that my life would change that because of that book, I would be the person who would be called when there were pastoral leadership difficulties, when a pastor was in spiritual or moral trouble. And that actually did happen. One of the ironies of Dangerous Calling is the names of endorsement on the back of the book. Yeah, yeah. Sad stories that cover argued for the need for another book. And after hearing story after story after concluding that there's a way in which I would be a sad man the rest of my life Hmm. because I would mourn the state of leadership. I thought I need to speak into this because what, what, what became very clear to me was it wasn't just the failing or falling of, of a particular leader. It was the dysfunction of the leadership community around him that was part of that sad narrative. Mm-hmm. And so I thought Dangerous Calling needs a follow-up that speaks into the spiritual health of the leadership community that surrounds a pastor. And now, Paul, are, are you seeing a more generic problem with church leadership 
or is it concentrated among certain demographics? Is there a way to segment out different levels of risk? For example, just from my own experience, Paul, if you were a Gen X pastor who planted a church that grew in the early and mid-2000s, and then you began teaching and writing more broadly, you probably aren't in ministry any longer, or at least not in the same church. I think that's true. I think there's something going on in the combination of uh, the aggressiveness of our church planting, the, the rapidity with which we disciple leaders, our love of the mega church, our uh, obsession with broad knowledge, the independent nature of the function of those churches that all comes to come together to be part of this problem we're talking about. I'm an ordained Presbyterian minister. I believe in denominationalism. <laughs> I believe in the watchful eye of a larger community. I believe in a court of higher order. I think those are all wonderful protections. And many of these ministries don't have those right. larger protections. You know, if you take some of the well-known church planting groups, they from the get-go say, we're not a denomination. Yeah. We are cooperating together to plant churches. I appreciate the humility of that declaration, but it scares me because you have young, gifted leaders who may acquire uh, success quickly who are ill-prepared and not surrounded by uh, people. Very often, the, the leadership community that surrounds that young leader are all his disciples. Right. And they, they, they look at a 35-year-old man, a 40-year-old man, as their father in ministry. Yeah. Well, it, well, that is scary to me. I said to one leader in that exact same situation, sat with his, in his office, and I said, you need a seasoned 65-year-old man who loves you dearly, who will follow you out of a meeting and say, you must not talk to your leaders that way. Yeah. Let's gather us together again. You confess that sin to those leaders. And, and I went on to say, I'm afraid if you don't do this, this thing's going to blow up. Well, it has mm -hmm. blown up. Right. Well, I, I, that's part of, as I was reading your book and trying to apply it to what I'd seen, I noticed that we're all at risk at some level. There's sure. broader cultural factors. There, more importantly, there's just sin inside of us. But that there are certain demographics and certain circumstances that do make this much more perilous. And in part, just thinking about the role of, you know, the convergence of conferences, networks, church planting, internet publication, uh, other publishing trends. And, and one, of the, one of the aspects we've seen with church planting, especially in urban areas, is that the, the demographic segmentation becomes pretty extreme. And that's where you have 35-year-olds as fathers in the faith ministering only to and among people that they've been ministering to for most of their lives. And then when you, when you add on just the regular pressures of, of ministry, the regular press, pressures of middle life with kids at home, all kinds of different changes, you add on to that the opportunity for fame and fortune that come in this particular uh, media milieu there's, it should not be a coincidence that we see almost no one having sometimes even, I mean, I'll, I'll just say, just not making it through. I think one of the more subtle themes 
that runs through the lead book is in ministry, success is way more dangerous than failure. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And we haven't talked about that enough, particularly when success comes young. Yeah. And the person who is successful is not surrounded by mature, seasoned, godly people. I, I can say this. I am deeply grateful that my Heavenly Father knew my susceptibilities, yeah. and no one knew Paul Tripp till he was <laughs> over 50. I yeah. think that's a huge grace to me. And by that time, I had surrounded myself with people who had walked with me for years, who are wise and godly, and I will not ever make a serious decision in ministry without getting a hold of those people and placing myself in the middle of that council of godly wisdom. The success thing is real important. There's another issue. We've established a new system of authority that you gain authority not through putting yourself under godly professors and then going through the process of all these steps. Uh, People get authority by the amount of books they've published and by the amount of followers they have on uh, the internet. And it's very hard then for that person who's got broad base cultural authority to be humble enough to listen to people who appear to be in the way of their vision for what their ministry could be. Yeah. Yeah. You throw in podcasting on top of that. Uh, just part of yep. that part of that mix as well, yep. and yep. now all of a sudden you've exacerbated problems in both directions because of the leader's influence, which can be disproportionate to character, maturity, things like that. But then also within each church, you've undermined authority because people are now seeking a kind of external teaching authority that can then make their local authority look rather unappealing by comparison. So that problem can work in both directions. What's the first sign, Paul, that you know a church leader is headed down the wrong path? I would have answered that question after writing Dangerous Calling by looking at the leader himself. That's not where I would look now. Hmm. I would ask myself the question, has the protective community around him, those people that should know him and love him, and speak with gospel comfort and courage into his life, have the protectors become the defenders Hmm. of the person Hmm. and have the defenders become even to become advocates of the system. Hmm. Because if that's Hmm. happening, this man has no protection. Hmm. Now, I believe in the biblical dynamic of spiritual blindness. I believe that as long as sin remains in me, there will be pockets of spiritual blindness. Right. I'm going somewhere here. That means I can't say ever that no one knows me better than I know myself yeah. because there will be inaccuracies of my view of me. It's one of the dangerous elements of remaining sin. So as Hebrews 3, 12 and 13 would say, I need literally daily intervention People to help me see what I would not see without them. I'll give you an example. I I wrote an email to one of these men that I 
love and respect. And he said, uh, I've read your email. Can we have lunch? And he put the email in front of me. He said, if you receive that email, what would you think about this man? Man, I was just, mm. I would cut to the heart. I said, I would, I would say he's full of, my, he's full of himself. Hmm. And she says, Paul, I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned that you were, you wrote that and you were willing to send. Praise God for that. But when, mm. that, when that community becomes the, the defenders instead of the protectors, and one of the reasons that happens is because they begin to argue from the vantage point of success, not from the vantage yeah. point of sin and character, and say, I've heard this so many times, Colin. Look, all the people have come to Christ. Yeah. Look at all the churches that have been planted. And so they're now defending the man instead of protecting him. And before long, they will be willing advocates of the system. When that happens, the leadership community has quit functioning the way God intended to function. It may be the corporate board of a religious institution, but it's no longer a spiritual community. And that man is in danger. Yeah. Paul, I have a lot of sympathy for leaders in churches that grow um, uh, in a church like that. I've been there when the church was 100 people. I've been there when the church has been 1,500 members. It's just not the same challenge. No. Leading 100 people versus leading 2,000 people in a mega church. How are leaders, Paul, supposed to manage that transition? I'm not sure what other realm of professional life we expect that. We'd never expect a school principal, for example, to lead successfully in both scenarios. Walk, walk me through what a leader is supposed to do if his church does grow. See, I, I think that the, the early commitments to humility and to community, those kinds of things, they have to be unshakable commitments that we carry through. I think what happens is at some point strategies of achievement begin to be more what the leadership community is driven by than that old spiritual community that was so exciting in the early days. I mean, you know, that's exciting yeah. in a small church. Yeah. I'm part of this loving, godly, honest community. You feel so blessed by that. But it's somehow in the busyness of getting bigger and the fact that I'm not known by the bulk of the people anymore, we don't have that kind of intimacy broad base anymore, that most of the people have come into the church were not part of that beginning. Mm -hmm. This the, the whole culture changes, but that can't happen to the leadership culture. If it does, we're in trouble. And I'm going to say this clearly. If it's a value, it gets on the schedule. Yeah. If you want to know your true values, look at where you spend your time. Yeah. And so we have to nail in to the way that we, it's a crass way of saying this, do the business of the church, this nurturing, prayerful, humble community of spiritual comfort and confrontation that every Christian needs. I'm talking to the choir here, yeah. but Christianity that's described in the New Testament is deeply relational. Yeah. And there's no indication that leaders are safe living outside of that. At some point, now that we're 2,000, 
that pastor is simply not getting what he had when it was 75. Yeah. And so with the, the, the massive change in the culture, although he doesn't understand that becomes massive change in the man. I think one of the changes I consistently see, Paul, is that the leader begins to see the elders or those other senior leaders as the primary threat, a primary threat to him and primary threat ultimately to the church, because realistically that pastor can't really tell the difference between himself and the church. That's that's right. And what I experienced in more than one situation is because of that, the pastor actually develops an advisory board. Yeah. From outside the church. From outside the church. Yeah. That is is made to distance him from the the elders who he now sees as as obstructionist. Right. Or I've seen this model too. The the elders that have become advocates, they get formed into an executive board that really becomes the decision-making leadership body outside of the the eldership. Yeah, I think there are few men that start out with that kind of attitude. Right. But there's there's a series of changes I talk about them and lead that result in this leadership dysfunction, a man unprotected, and then the direction is typically very sad. Talking with Paul Tripp here about his new book, Lead, 12 Gospel Principles for Leadership in the Church, published by Crossway. Paul, can we rethink how we help pastors discern their calling? I think we're letting young men assume that if they teach well and love Jesus, and this is key, people affirm them in that, then they should be pastors. I actually think it's more accurate to ask them if they're prepared to stand for Jesus when their friends and colleagues turn against them, (laughs) then they can consider ministry. That's kind of the flip side to what we just talked about, that you don't want to be a martyr where you set things up and you see everybody else as the problem. But the reality is, in ministry, it will typically be your closest friends that cause you the greatest pain Mm. sometimes. I mean, it's, it's one thing if... It's hard for any pastor when somebody gets divorced in your church or something, but it's especially hard when it's one of your most trusted friends and you never saw it coming. But I think a lot of pastors get in and they see things falling apart and they think, well, this must mean I wasn't called to ministry. And I'm thinking, what example do you have biblically or historically that should tell you to expect anything else? I think of a couple things. One, it's, it should be noted that in the qualifications for elder, only one of those qualifications is a gift or skill qualification. Right. right. Every other one is character. Why is that? Right. Because the Lord of the church knew what he was calling leaders into. Right. I have to smile when Jesus is having his final moment with his disciples. And I always think of what... What were the final things I'd like to say to, to my guys? Yeah. And he's, he looks at him, and one of the things he says is, look, they hated me. They're going to hate yeah. you too. Right. <laughs> and I think, seriously? Yeah. But there's a reason for that. There's love in those words. I don't think we talk enough about ministry is being called to suffer. Yeah. You will suffer misunderstanding. You will suffer 
accusation. You will suffer huge spiritual burdens that you have to carry, things that you wish you didn't know about that will haunt you at the, at night. People that you've grown to love, who turn their back on you, who say the most unkind things to you. One of the reasons I think that uh, the health of that spiritual community is so important. It's not just for confrontation, it's for comfort. And if I'm going through those things, that's not the moment for me to revisit my calling. I mean, if you put, put a bunch of sinners in intimate relationship with one another in a fallen world, it's probably not going to be comfortable. The church was designed to be transformational. With, a, with Satan and accuser lurking. Absolutely. And, and so bright, sanitized stories of ministry success are just not accurate pictures of what most of us go through. I can remember as a young pastor, uh, I have to tell you the story. I, I was so beaten up, I was done. Yeah. I went to my elders and said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I found a teaching job in Southern California. I thought, Jesus on the beach, what's better than that? <laughs> and so that Sunday, I, I announced my resignation. Colin, I was as beaten up as I ever been. I never thought I would experience what I experienced as a young pastor. I was leaving the door, leaving the church that Sunday, and there's oldest man in our congregation said, Paul, can, can I talk to you? I didn't want to talk to anybody. I said, sure, Bob, sure, Bob, you may talk. And he said, look, we know you're immature. I thought, well, that's a good start. <laughs> but then he said, where's the church going to get mature pastors if immature pastors run? We haven't asked you to leave. We love you. I began to weep. That man spoke grace into my heart. I walked home. I said to, I came in crying. Luella asked me what was wrong. And I said, I can't leave. My metaphor was God just nailed my shoes to the porch of that church. Mm -hmm. I called my elders that afternoon and I said, I know I'm a bit of an idiot. Can I unresign? <laughs> and they said, well, this is not typical. <laughs> but I did. I unresigned and I stayed. And Colin, nothing else that's happened since would have happened. Yeah. Now, I, as a young man, I was unprepared for what I would face in ministry. And so that preparation is really important. We need, we need not to be dark and negative about ministry, but we need to be honest about right. the cost of ministry. Paul, why will churches remove a leader for sex and money, but not for domineering and abusive leadership? Well, the answer to that is an unbiblical definition of sin. I think part of that is that we've carried we've carried culturally an unbiblical definition of what a leader looks like. Dominant, strong personality, able to collect a quick following, sharp thinking, quick on your feet, verbal processor, not afraid of of anything or anyone. Well, man, if you have that definition instead of gentleness and humility and patience and tenderness and kindness, no wonder we end up with a bully culture. Uh, so if you've assumed a definition of leadership, that definition I just gave, then it's hard to recognize a bully. And it's hard to see that as a bad thing. And I have sat in leadership meetings with my breath being taken away hmm. by how this person is behaving. I got out of one meeting and I immediately called an executive pastor on his cell phone and said, why didn't you say something? How is it that we're sitting in this room and someone doesn't say, this is wrong? Yeah. I think uh, I've sat in some of those meetings too, Paul. 
And I can say, I don't know if this is encouraging or discouraging. I can say that in every single case where my breath has been taken away, that person is gone from Mm. ministry. Mm. And usually it's been horrible. Mm. And where that's not been the case, almost never is that person having like problems dropping out or being forced out of ministry. So at one level, if you know what you're looking for, it is obvious. Um, And I guess I just want to encourage people listening. If you're in that situation right now, it won't end well. I can't tell you when it's going to end or exactly how. I just know it will end and it will end badly. And you will regret not having done something earlier if you have that power to do it. I also think when it comes to sex and money that we can find ways to assess those sins objectively. Yeah. Whereas for somehow emotional, spiritual abuse is seen as on a spectrum and you don't know when is too much or too far. So I think we need a lot more work at just helping people to understand what spiritual abuse is. Let me speak to that, Colin. I think the more the character qualities of godliness that are in scripture become the lens that we're looking at life through, the easier it will be for us to recognize those things. Yeah. We've got we've got a lens that we can look through. And if we are doing that, if tenderness and gentleness and patience and and love are our standard and we're holding that close to our hearts, then it surely is easy to recognize when behavior is taking place that doesn't depict that standard. Yeah. Yeah, That's one thing that encourages me also, Paul, is that I don't think there's some kind of magic formula that has to be applied here. It's the biblical standards for godliness. It's the biblical standards for leadership. It's those character traits. If you're looking at those character traits and you're thinking as a pastor, I don't know if this is what people would say about me. Or if you're thinking about your pastor, but that certainly doesn't describe my pastor. It's probably not the case that you just don't understand. It's probably the case that that's just not true. And we've bought into a leadership culture that is not not just inconsistent with scripture, but perhaps even antithetical to scripture, which is truly scary. I encourage pastors to do a little exercise. Go to your children. And ask them to write down five character qualities that best describe you in the home without without fear of your reprisal. Do the same thing with your wife and Mm. do the same thing with the leaders who are closest to you. If God is gloriously forgiving and gloriously restoring, you should not be afraid to do that. Yeah. In fact, Colin, I include myself in this. We should be afraid not to do that. Yeah. Boy, as I think about that, I think, oh, that's scary. But also, it could be encouraging. Sure, <laughs> I suppose that's the point. Sure. Well, absolutely, absolutely. It's gonna be. It's gonna be something of both, probably. But but if if we don't do those kinds of exercises, it doesn't have to be done that way. Then then we are backing away from the leadership values that God has given us in His Word. I think that list of qualifications for elder is remarkable. It is, and it's protective, and it's loving. Yeah. And it's the stuff of ministry longevity. Yeah. We can't back away. We don't, we don't have to create a leadership profile. We've got it. And, and the thing is, we have moved away from it. The microwave approach of domineering leadership 
will build your church, especially if you're planting it, it'll build it more quickly. All you need to do is create a strong us versus them dynamic, an antagonistic posture toward the world, a sense that this leader is a true guru, and create that kind of culture, and you'll grow more quickly than if you follow, typically speaking, than if you follow the biblical mandates. Yeah, here's a, a more biblical gospel-oriented model. It, it probably is the summary of this book. The key to lasting fruit in ministry is longevity. Mm-hmm. Fruit doesn't happen overnight. We're not called to raise up mushrooms of righteousness, but oaks of righteousness for the display of God's splendor. That's long-term stuff. The key to longevity is spiritual health. We know that. The key to spiritual health is gospel community. There's the book. And if we walk away from that model, where our model is bright, gifted people, quick training, quick success, uh, achievement, uh, becomes more important than spiritual health. The leadership group becomes a strategic group, not a spiritual group. We're going to have more casualties. One thing I tell people, Paul, in looking at churches, and if you're looking to join one, you're looking to be hired into one, a couple things to look out for are, are there people who've been on this staff long-term? Now, that's not the only, that, that, can, be, that can mean the opposite. That can mean a problem. But in a lot of churches that struggle with leadership culture, there's a tremendous amount of turnover. Yep. Nobody really seems to survive there unless they were only from within and unless they're overtly known simply as defenders of that culture. So often look for leaders who say the way to balance it is to then say leaders who are independent and strong. If you can look at a church and see people who've stayed or an organization, see people who've stayed but who have independent strength in ministry, you probably have the kind of comfort and confrontation culture. I've also, one of the things that I look for is if I know of people who have left, would anybody who who has left ever work for this person again? Well, that's Yeah, that's a giveaway. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And if you talk to two or three people and they all say, I would never work there for that person again, that is a huge red flag. Yeah, I agree there. Yeah. I said that's a good one as well. Yeah. And, and it seems obvious, but it's amazing, Paul, and you and I both know this, how many churches or other ministries will never talk to anybody from that previous place. They don't even bother to follow up with people who've experienced that person because yes. they've fallen under the same spell. They've told themselves a certain story of success of what this leader can bring, and they don't want somebody to disabuse them of that notion. I'm talking here parachurches, seminaries, churches, publishers. It's amazing to me how consistently I see that happen. There's something that we've we've seen too. This has been very public in some of these, the falling of very, very well-known pastors, that the first response of the leadership community is to attack the victim. Yeah. To question their motives, to question whether they're telling the truth. Yeah. Rather than asking 
does this person have an experience of something that should be a grave concern to us? Yeah. That, that nobody is safe sitting up above or outside of the essential sanctifying and protecting ministry of the body of Christ. What happens is more and more people come forward. The leader, leadership is embarrassed and asks for forgiveness. Yeah. And in six months, they've all resigned. They've all resigned. Yep. And I have to say, this does not discriminate theologically. Nope. That's why if you think your Reformed theology will protect you from this, then there's all kinds of examples that prove you wrong there. But if you think on the, on the contrary, that this is a particular problem just for Reformed people, well, then the evidence is going to tell you you're wrong there as well. I think that's one reason why, Paul, your book is so timely, because nobody can hide. Yeah. It's hit so many different people of so with so much success. I mean, there was even a high-profile case recently where the leader went down after having just taken down a different leader at a former church, you know, a, a year or two earlier. Well, I think maybe one of the reformed renditions of this is arrogant theological always yes. right always rightism. Yes, that that I am so theologically strong and correct, you can't touch me, and no one can yeah. teach me anything that I don't already know. That's a dangerous, yeah. dangerous place to be. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't have the profile of a bully, but that's what it is. Yeah. And it's a refusal to sit under the authority of God's word if, it is, if it's not brought by me. Yeah, different churches will grab onto a different way of expressing that domineering leadership. That's right. And you're right that the besetting sin for the Reformed is going to be that kind of arrogant um, teaching, yeah. an assumption that if you're challenging me, it's just because you must be a liberal, or it must be because you just simply won't submit to God's word, which often just becomes my particular interpretation of it, which happens to be convenient to support whatever leadership structure I'm advocating for. Well, I have um, one more question on the book and then one kind of uh, last question that I love to ask guests, but talking here again with Paul Tripp about LEAD, 12 Gospel Principles for Leadership in the Church. You didn't expect you'd be dropping this book in the middle of this pandemic and a time of tremendous leadership stress. And I'm trying to create some space at the Gospel Coalition for pastors to connect with one another during a stressful time and to compare some of their differences and challenges. And I think find some consolation in that. But you also know that sometimes when you get pastors together, we do tend to tend to grumble, tend to complain, um, tend to think that we're the only ones that are experiencing something like this. So what word would you have for pastors who are feeling especially stressed or just under under duress in their leadership during this time as they approach your book, wondering how can I benefit from the wisdom therein? I would say that God in his love is surrounds a pastor with the body of Christ, which is a community of grace. God makes his invisible grace visible by sending people of grace to give grace to people who need grace. Pastors, don't go through this alone. Reach out, share your burdens with people that you know you can respect Commune with other pastors. I think these moments are spiritual war. In this moment, there's an enemy who wants to do evil. But we know from the cross, God will take the worst things ever and out yeah. of them bring the best things ever. And so I want to I want to run to the word. I want to run to my heavenly father. 
I want to run to the body of Christ. And I don't want to think that I have to be independently strong because I'll compromise my ministry in the next time if I am. Listen, weakness is a workroom for God's grace. Be free to be weak and find help in the resources that God uh, has given you. I, I have found every time I see a leader humbly confessing weakness, it is endearing to me. I respect him even more. And I carry that man in my heart and I carry him in my prayers. Uh, that's where we need to be during this time. If anything that this pandemic tells us is we're weak and dependent and not and not in control. Yeah. Humbled, not grumbled. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, that, uh, that approach. Uh, last question I love to ask, Paul, what's the last great book you've read? Carl Ellis's Free at Last. Okay. All right. Tell us a little bit about that book. It's a, uh, let's see, that book has been around for 30 some years, I think. Yeah. And like it's, it's come out again. And Show Baraka has written a new introduction to the book. Carl is a wonderful, tender, sweet man. Carl is a man that you can't be around long without loving <laughs> uh, because he has an infectious love for God an infectious love for the theology of the word of God, a deep committed love for people. And I love this book because as he talks about racial issues and the history of race, that love comes across. He loves his Lord. The book attracts me because it's, it's a practical representation of the two great commands, love God above all else and love your neighbor as yourself. And Carl is a great example of, of what he writes about. I, I love when I know the, the author yeah. and I, I can say he is a living example of what he writes. Yeah. If, if uh, his legacy of discipleship, mm. number of people who've been touched by his writings and directly from his ministry, from his wife, Karen's ministry as well is simply remarkable. I read that book this summer and uh, really enjoyed it. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad you cited that one. Yeah. Well, my guest on Gospel Bound has been Paul Tripp. His new book, Lead, 12 Gospel Principles for Leadership in the Church, published by Crossway. You know, especially after hearing from Paul here, you need to pick up the book. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Gospel Bound with Colin Hansen. Join us next time as we continue the search for firm faith in an anxious age. Visit tgc.org slash gospelbound to find transcripts and past episodes, subscribe to my newsletter, and suggest a guest or topic that will help you find hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ.